Yo, this hot, this the spot, there it is, pod.com. We're interviewing the best comedians, so tune in quick and get your ears receiving them. We're talking about life and life to stream right to you from the microphone right to your home, dude. Side note, this might get embarrassing, but no, don't sweat, yo, because there it is. Welcome to the There It Is podcast, America's podcast, where we talk to interesting people to help you find your inspiration. I'm your host, Jason Farr. Let's do this. It's a mouthful. It's a mouthful. Maybe we'll have to go to the condensed one. Nevertheless, thank you for joining us. We have a great guest today. It's stand-up comedian and writer, Monica Nevy, a.k.a. Monica Nevy Ending Story. Okay, I stole that from her co-host, but it's pretty good check her out on the Hug Life podcast if you haven't already. If you are here because you know about Monica and her podcasts and her work, thank you for joining us and spreading the love this way. We have a ton of old episodes that you can get on Apple Podcasts and Amazon and Google and Stitcher and SoundCloud and iHeartRadio. I think they have it up on there uh, because they just aggregate it all. So I didn't even have to do anything. And it's there, so go check that out over there if you want, if that's how you like listening to us. We also put old episodes up on YouTube on Thursdays and enhanced episodes on the weekends. And those enhanced episodes, they're done by brother of the show, Trey, and they're of the most recent episode of the podcast, and he'll add some stuff in there. Like last week's episode, just check out the YouTube version of that. Unless you just like listening to stuff while you're driving or working. But at this point, these enhanced episodes on YouTube are kind of better to listen to just because they have that extra info. Like whatever is being referenced, you can see it right there because Trey will put it into the episode. So it's very cool to go check that out. YouTube.com slash there it is. Speaking of new episodes, let's get to today's. It's very fun. She is a Seattle-based stand-up comedian, and she does a lot of cool stuff. Here's my chat with Monica Nevy. She said, hey. Uh, she doesn't oh. know you. She just told me to tell you hey. <laughs> okay. Well, hey, Justina. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so are you from, born and raised in Washington State? I am. Yeah, I was born and raised in Renton, Washington, which is mm-hmm. about 20 minutes south of Seattle, if you don't know. Um, went to school at Seattle University, played basketball there. And then a little bit after that, I moved to Los Angeles for three years, but it was mostly me still traveling, being on the road. So um, there was a year where I didn't live anywhere and was just on the road all the time. Mm-hmm. And then I came back to the great Northwest Nice. Um, about, you know, eight months before COVID hit anyway. So, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. It kind of so ended you up got back before fam- but like where you're close to family. So yeah. Yeah. That's good. Which, That's good. Yeah. It feels like some people did that, um, after out of necessity, but I was just ahead of the curve, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way for a comic to be. Uh, <laughs> you mentioned you played basketball in college and, <laughs> That career ended in college because of an injury, right? Yes, yeah, I did. Thanks for bringing um, it up. Yeah, I'm sorry. I was, <laughs> you know, I, that must have been traumatic. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was that was my whole life. You know, I started yeah. playing when I was six, and so I identified as a 
basketball player. That was who I was, which maybe wasn't that healthy, but still it was, you know, (laughs) such a big part. And then all of a sudden it was gone. Um, and it was about eight months after that. Yeah. Yep. Point guard. I'm, uh, taller than most women, but I'm not that tall when it comes to basketball. So I don't Oh, interesting. So what is it like five, nine? I'm five seven. Um, ah, that was gonna be my second. Yeah, which is funny because I don't like it. Never really hits me until I'm around normal sized people. Like when I'm with teammates, they're all six foot and above. Yeah, and I'm the small one, and then right. yeah, I'm around the average size woman is like five two, which is right. crazy. But. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, five seven's a good height. Um, I mean, maybe not for basketball. <laughs> right. I wish there was a couple more inches, but that's okay. yeah for that. Um, yeah, when some, when people get into college for basketball, it's something that they really have devoted all of their time to. Uh, so yeah, I'm not surprised that it was something that you were looking at as like, I'm a basketball player. That's who I am. Well, and then to not really have made the decision myself, you know, it was because of injuries too. So it's kind of taken from you, but you know, I stayed with the team and my degrees in sports and exercise science. So I actually okay. interned with them and whatnot. So it was, it worked out that way. And yeah, now, you know, what's it been almost 12 years? Uh, I wouldn't trade it or the experience or the people that I met for anything, but it was more difficult at the time for sure. Of course, for sure. And I was going to say you must have had a lot more time in your hand, but since you stayed involved with the team, you still had a lot of time with the team. <laughs> yeah, I would say I had less time. So that we, it was at the end of my sophomore year that I had to, uh, I guess, retire now that you think about it. But um, so then midway through my junior year was when I started stand up. Um, so at that time, I was still going to school. I was with the team, you know, which is practicing twice a day or, traveling or games, whatever, depending on what time of the season I had another job. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was also doing stand up at that time, yeah. probably two to three nights a week. So it was, Busy. yeah, <laughs> it was a lot for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I was wondering, I, I, when I just heard originally when I was researching that, uh, you had an injury and that was when you started stand up, I kind of assumed like, well, I guess you needed to fill all that time that athletes you know spend that would suddenly free yeah. you up but you were you were just doing a bunch of things on top yeah. of it Did more. wild wild <laughs> uh what job were you working i worked at a plate i don't know if i should say what it's called but it's like a trampoline facility you know you've okay. seen those like we yeah, can jump, go in yeah, and jump yeah. on the trampoline dodgeball and stuff like that yeah wow. i was working there and i hated it Oh man, I hated it. It was rough, but I was there for like two and a half years or whatever. That's kind of my move. Usually I'm like, I have a problem with this, but let me stick it out for way too long. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so like you're not even working as an RA and making money that way. I mean, it was off campus. Yeah. You, Mm -hmm. you really were spreading yourself thin. (laughs) Or maybe you just have a capacity more than the average person because athletes tend to. Maybe, maybe Uh, just the, because everything was very structured for us, you know, because even when I was when I couldn't play anymore, I was I was still with the team, but I didn't have all of the same like if they had to go to study hall and stuff like that, like I didn't have to do that part. So 
there was a bit less structure and maybe I was just like, okay, well, I have to fill that with something. I mean, also I needed money. That was, it was kind of a necessity on that part. Mm -hmm. But now, you know, because now within maybe the last three years, I have been so full-time stand-up that there's no freelance writing. There's no whatever else, you know, it's just been stand-up. And then I feel like I'm not doing enough. Like I do, yeah. you know, like I feel, even though I'm traveling a lot and mm-hmm. things like that, I still feel like it's not enough. And maybe it comes from that where it's like, you had all these things right. that you were supposed to be doing. So then, you know, now then you, I have podcasts and right. YouTube and whatever else, you know, <laughs> because I feel like I need to fill that time. <laughs> right. Or, I mean, you know, I still like to make other things, but <laughs> I've yeah. only I've, I've only ever had more than one job at a time or been going to school and working and you know so no I remember that grind when I was in college because I was doing extracurricular things and was an RA and then there's school and yeah. uh at my <laughs> yeah, you forget the school, school part yeah <laughs> that was very easy at my college because I felt like the RAs I don't know if it was partly just because we wanted to do a lot or if we were required to do a lot, but we did a lot with that to the point that I, a couple of RAs were like, school, what's that? Uh, so <laughs> it was it was uh, something that I got really accustomed to and liked uh, doing all of these different things. And yeah, when you're not doing as much stuff, you can feel like you're not doing enough. Right. But truth is maybe we are doing too much yeah uh, <laughs> I, I definitely burn out um <laughs> by the end of my college career with, uh, <laughs> doing all that stuff so originally i assume because of your degree and doing basketball your idea at the time was to graduate and go into athletics to some degree what was yeah. the plan uh, once you started doing comedy was it then okay, well, maybe I'll just make a go of this. Or were you thinking of doing a hybrid thing? What was the idea? Um, I think there was moments when I thought about doing a, a hybrid thing. Um, I was, okay, so I eventually got so irritated with the trampoline job mm-hmm. that I um, moved back to I had worked in like youth development before that with like YMCAs and stuff like that and so I went back and worked for a boys and girls club for a while and there was moments there because I was graduating and then where I thought maybe I should be an athletic director Mm -hmm. at a boys and girls club because there was some people in the leadership of that realm that I really liked and so I was like okay maybe I can do that but my bosses didn't really, or one of my bosses didn't really care what I wanted to do. You know, I think mm-hmm. she wanted me to move into a director position cause I was an assistant director. Um, and she was like, you should take these other classes and do this. And I was like, I don't want to do that. Like, even if I wasn't gonna, you know, my goal was always to do stand up full time at that point. And so if I was going to do that, I didn't even want to stay where I was, but she right. didn't. She didn't care to ask. Um, <laughs> so there was definitely, I'd still say like now if stand-up wasn't, I didn't do anything with comedy, um, I would coach. I could see that. But uh-huh. um, yeah, that was kind of the, I think coaching or, I mean, a lot of my classmates went into like physical therapy and stuff, but I wasn't ever really interested in the injury side of things, maybe because I did get injured. <laughs> um, right, right. But yeah, and then, 
So like exercise testing was always really interesting to me and like exercise physiology. So um, the the lab that we worked through in college, they tested like the U.S. Um, rugby team and stuff like that. That was always really interesting to me just because once you get to those elite, elite levels of athletes, mm-hmm. the little tiny tweaks make such a big difference that a lot of them get tested for a lot of stuff, their VO2 mm-hmm. max and their muscle fiber types and all that stuff. So that stuff's pretty interesting. And I could see yeah. myself either coaching or doing that stuff. Um, yeah. But now the only combination would be, you know, talking about basketball. <laughs> so. Yeah, maybe it's a new another podcast that you can. Yeah, there you go. Bring it through the fold, a comedic take on uh, on on basketball. Um, so you did comedy. You did stand up a good couple of years while you were still in college. Yeah, yeah, about yeah. So a year and a half, and then I actually ended up having to take one extra class after. So yeah, it was probably two years that I was still in school, mm-hmm. finishing the degree while I was doing stand-up. Yeah, I was 20, just a, just a little bit before I turned 21 is when I first started stand-up. Interesting. What was the scene like? Because uh, I was not around uh, a scene that had a bunch of college kids, <laughs> or any college kids. So yeah, I imagine I, you might have been the funny. only one. That's interesting. You know, I never really thought about that. There was a few other younger people Mm -hmm. that I know started around my same time, but that wasn't who I was like friends with, you know, Mm -hmm. in comedy. There was always older people who had been doing it for a little bit. There's this weird thing, you know, when you first start something, I think they just shifted into the not open micer. So they're like, Oh, I can, I can be an asset now. I've done this. I can help you. And so you're like, Oh, they know what they're talking about. Cause they've been doing it for a long time when really in, in the grand scheme of things, it's not really that long, but right. um, yeah, I mean, I used a fake ID the first uh, few months that I, which I really didn't have to, it turned out, but whatever. <laughs> um, also it had a different name on it than I used on stage. Like I didn't really think about it very well, but <laughs> um so it was, it was an interesting shift to go from being around athletes all the time that were mostly my same age to people who were older than me that were spending every night in a bar, essentially. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it is kind of a weird thing to do now that I think about it. But <laughs> And maybe even the discipline was very different. I mean, you're at an open mic, so you have people who are hoping to get into it professionally, and then people were just doing it for fun. Yeah. And uh, out of the people who even want to become professionals, a lot of them don't have a lot of discipline. <laughs> uh, I that's mean, that's, true. that's part of the world of stand-up. We want to fall into it backwards, right? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, definitely. It is a... It, I've talked about that quite a bit just because I was used to the athlete mindset. Like, if it, right. even if you weren't the best you were working hard to get there, you know, and, and I played a team sport too. So it was a lot of people going for the same goal. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we, for the most part, were supportive of each other because you're only as good as your weakest player, those types Mm -hmm. of things. I mean, I could spout off coach quotes for hours, but, um, it's not like that in standup, obviously, no. you know, it's, you're right. People are doing it for different reasons. Some people do want to make it their career. Some people are, it's just for fun or it's for fun and they don't know it yet. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and then we're, there's a competition level mm-hmm. a bit where you're competing with each other, even though you don't mean to sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah. And I, I, I do feel like even now that it's been, I've been doing stand up for uh, 10 and a half years. Um, it's, I haven't really felt anything like being on a team like that. You know, I've never, just because it is, it's adversity, it's, um, it's uncomfortable, it's hard work, but you're all doing it together. And that doesn't really, and you have similar mindsets. I've gotten in trouble a few times in stand up where I'm just like, I just work harder. Why are you complaining? Just do this. And, you know, um, and that's not what some people want to hear or not what works for them. And I have mm-hmm. to like reel it in a little bit just cause I'm used to coaches, you know, yelling at me right, <laughs> or whatever. Well, also there's maybe something a little more specific in sports that people can work harder at. Cause it's all, you can always work harder in the gym, I guess. Right. Yeah. Um, and, uh, in different ways, but when it's stand up, it's like, well, you write your jokes and then you hone your jokes and then you go tell your jokes so yeah. where is the clear play? And it's also an art form. So it's kind of like subjective. You know, There's yeah, a, yeah. yeah. Um, it's hard to it's very case by case. You know, there's yeah. certain people it's like, here's where I see this person can work uh, on honing, but someone else will have a completely different thing that they need to maybe work on. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, if you're if you're off shooting, you go in the gym and you shoot more, you know, if right. you like, I mean, I guess hypothetically you could practice your jokes alone, but that's just kind of, it's not the same, you not know, same. I mean, I get it. You can't ever know. get it out the same. It's yeah. The there's some things, yeah. some things overlap, but a lot of things don't. So it's, I'm still learning that I think. <laughs> oh, for sure. I mean, it's um, also, I mean, I guess also in basketball or sports, you have a championship you can put like we're. <laughs> trying to get to the championship like yeah. what's the championship if you're in an open mic like i don't <laughs> um, yeah or even i mean even just stand up you know it's like because my championship could be different than yeah. someone else's you know if they want a netflix special but i want a late night set you know whatever it is like right. those are those are different things i maybe i should think about it as seasons that would be that would be helpful yeah. for me <laughs> yeah i mean it's, there's got to be a helpful way for everyone to figure out how they can hone strong uh, like just get stronger um but also not drive themselves crazy on a fool's errand uh, yeah to a certain degree. yep no i agree <laughs> no it's uh it's interesting it's interesting i'll have to ruminate on that a little more <laughs> <laughs> so you when did you start getting gigs and when did it stop becoming just a like like you mentioned that some people had moved past that just an open micer sort of uh, vibe or, or, or stage. Uh, what? When did that happen for you? Um, I don't know if I actually moved past that stage or if I was just like had told myself like this is what I was going to do. But that probably I would say like two years in because mm-hmm. I had quit the not quit, but left the trampoline place to go and work at the boys and girls club because I could have nights like we closed at six, you know, so I could go out and do more. So I was making choices that would facilitate me being able to do more stand up. And then at that point, I just, you know, even my frustrations with that job were like, okay, it's a means to an ends. I'm just figuring out how to, and then, yeah, I was like three years in that I had decided to, 
quit and go on tour for a really long time, but then I got in trouble and had to stay for, <laughs> I got a DUI. Um, I so had to stay for another year. And then after that, I went um, and did that. I went on tour for three months. And then at the end of the three months, that's when I moved to Los Angeles. So it was about four years in that I made it full time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was real touch and go there for a while. But yeah. after after those two years was when I decided that's what I wanted to do. So I started saving a lot of money, which... Mm-hmm. Um, helped me stay in Los Angeles for at least that first year. Yeah. Wasn't as lucrative as I had been on the road. And then I just started doing more road stuff, you know, whatever I'm figuring it all out, but right. Um, yeah. So probably after two years, I was like, okay, I'm really gonna try and make this my career. When you were in LA, what was the, uh, approach to comedy there? I mean, you had gone from being in, I guess, sort of a college town, maybe doing bar gigs, but was there a devoted club while you were in college or, or right out of college yeah. before you moved to LA? Yeah, there was a few. I was lucky enough to start in a, a bigger city. It wasn't necessarily the biggest of the cities, but Seattle's mm-hmm. pretty big. And so yeah, there was, yeah, yeah. I think, four clubs at the time. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of, there was like this alt scene. So there was a lot of right. stage time. And and by that point, people really liked me. So I worked a lot. I was in at all those clubs. Got and to then to go. a lot of names, I bet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Got to meet, meet some people that were in those cities in New York and LA or whatever. And, okay, um, good. Then LA is its own beast, of course. It's something right. different. And it, that's more of a confusion as far as like the <laughs> who's, if you're at an open mic, you're like, who's here because they're just started? Who's here right. because they've been doing it for a long time? Who's here because their agent told them they should try it? You know, like there's all <laughs> these different things to mix in. And you're like, I don't even know. Then you got to buy a drink so you can put the receipt into the the bucket and hopefully get picked earlier than if you just sign up, you know, like all these things. And so eventually I started only going to open mics and I knew the host because then they would just pretend to pull my name out of the bucket, <laughs> <laughs> which is maybe a secret I shouldn't tell people, but, um, cause otherwise yeah. sometimes you, you sit there and then they never sit call you and you're like, yeah, why did I never s- call you? Yeah. sit at the improv for three hours and then not, <laughs> You know, and then I'm spending money because I'm sitting here, so I'm probably going to buy a drink or whatever. And yeah, yeah, it just it was a mess. So then I started to just go on the road more from there, and I felt like that was my and starting to work different places than I would, you know, Arizona and San Diego and Northern California and places that I hadn't yet because I lived in Washington and you know I had kind of done all the Washington, Idaho, Montana, uh, Oregon, those places that were reachable for me. And I'd done, you know, the long tour. So I'd been plenty of other places, but Mm -hmm. really getting in with some of the California stuff. And that was kind of my focus. And, um, that's where I do think I sound like an old road guy when I say this, but I do think that's where you really get funny. Like Mm -hmm. you really learn how to learn how to i guess Play predict different yeah different audiences yeah. and and know what's going to work and and figure out something that works everywhere you know if i can do mm-hmm. some jokes in la and also in uh albuquerque you know it's uh yeah. that's a good one <laughs> right right if it uh, can hit anywhere then that's that's definitely a material yeah it's so i kind of went that route right yeah. <laughs> i am um, uh, and, you know, a lot of people I knew in L.A. kind of went the other way where they did way less stand up 
and mm-hmm. just were doing auditions and stuff like that a lot, mm-hmm. which that wasn't ever what I started for. You know, now there's mm-hmm. a diverse, whatever, collection of things that I've done, but that wasn't ever the goal. And like, it was always stand up. I always wanted to do stand up. That's still my goal. Like, I like all these other things, but it's so that people can see it and go, oh, I like her. I would go see her live. You know, that's mm-hmm. just what I want it to function as. And so, yeah, a lot of people just stayed there, got day jobs and then wanted to try to either write for shows or, or act or whatever. And a lot of them did that, which was great. Um, but yeah, there's just different, you just make it your own. Okay. Yeah. And it'll change (laughs) constantly. (laughs) And you just figure it out. uh, That's why I kind of, I mean, I've always hated this, but as time goes on, I hate it more that infamous line of bill hicks of you're not really a comic and if you're doing anything outside of stand-up and it's like that is just not the world that anyone lives in not now Um, no yeah i mean he definitely if he hadn't died he definitely would have ended up on a guest spot on sitcoms or something like that he would have been on friends and everybody would have been pissed (laughs) about it (laughs) (laughs) he would have done something i I mean i just kind of hate the way some comics will throw that in your face, like, dude, like, who's not, who is doing just one thing? Like, like, Chappelle was in A Star is Born, you know? Like, <laughs> are you telling me he's not a real stand-up Dave right. fucking Chappelle been... <laughs> because he did a sketch show? Right. That's so ridiculous to well, say. Well, and that's what, his career is, isn't is anywhere near his career if he doesn't do that sketch show, you know? Yeah, so it's like. Absolutely. You know? What are you talking about? Yeah. Right, um, right. Yeah, it's a, it's, it just changes and I don't, I think money plays a lot uh, into it too. And mm-hmm. back then it was like you go to a club and now this, they know your name and then next time you're there they come and see you again there wasn't like oh now i'm going to go find him on social media and watch these other things and do this special you know whatever but that's how it is now it's really important and because there was like two things late night and an hbo special you know right and now there's a million things so (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) it just changes constantly and i think you have to be adaptable yeah Absolutely. Just like when you're on stage, you know, if somebody starts yelling at you or is drunk or whatever, you got to adapt to that too. So your whole life and career have to be the same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, the impetus to start going on the road um, was obviously going to be because it was the next natural thing to do if you want to have a career as a stand-up. Um, how did you go about doing that, making that launch? I think it was kind of a slow burn, which is how I describe myself anyways. But um, I started doing, well, honestly, when you first start, if you have a car, it is very helpful to get road gigs. I think the first time I like worked at a club that wasn't a local club was that a headliner just needed a ride. So I featured for him because I could drive him there. And so I kind of started doing things like that, where I would just go with certain headliners that I knew that liked me. And um, then you go, you get, you like it. I don't even, even when it's bad, it's, it's fun. And, you know, now sometimes I get a little tired, but I, I still like going to new places and having an audience that hasn't seen me or 
has been waiting to see me and mm-hmm. they're still they're surprised and it's this great thing instead of you know the same crowd that comes and sees me here and they're like oh i've heard half of this but not the yeah. other half you know it's a little <laughs> less but it's just yeah it was like that fun so i did like a few just had been asked to go with people and then from there would you know kind of go back to those same venues if the person who ran the show liked me or whatever and so yeah after that four years then i was like okay this is what we're gonna do i'm gonna go and do as much in a row as i can and that was honestly so much work to (laughs) book all of that because you go through some of the channels you've already had then you go okay i gotta ask these people who live there that i worked with here i did this festival with and ask them who i what good shows there are then i have to reach out to that person use their name hope that they like me enough to be like yeah we'll book you even though like at the time so it was like a co-headlining tour Mm -hmm. it you know mostly bar shows and stuff and i was it was good but it wasn't you know now i'm like so comfortable with time and like oh sure i'll do an hour or whatever you know then i'm like still pushing myself to get to 30 minutes and whatnot and so it was, I think stand up and figuring it out as a career is a lot of making choices that you probably shouldn't <laughs> <laughs> and just doing it anyways. And somebody asks you to come and do an hour and you feel like you only have 40 minutes, do it anyways, see what happens, yeah. you know, push yourself a little bit. Um, so that was a lot of that. I mean, I, yeah, made that choice to do the tour, booked it for me and another person pretty much myself it was three months long where we worked most nights and um i made it work financially mm-hmm. my uh <laughs> partner's not as smart as i with money so it was a little rough for him but um yeah it was it was great it was fun and now you know sometimes now even though i'm a more settled person and i have a stable family life um i still sometimes fantasize like what if i did just go on the road for four months <laughs> yeah that's the tough thing that uh stand-ups and musicians have to think about right of of how tough that is and then if you're on the road a lot i mean musicians have to go on the road yeah and stay um, there i feel like yeah. they go for like a long time a long yeah. time uh stand-ups maybe can say like well i'm gonna do this stuff in this town i can hit the i can yeah. hit the clubs in this town and make uh, the money i want but i mean if uh, you have they the labels are going to make you if you're a, a musician they're going to make you tour yeah and um what gets to be weird is coming home <laughs> right used to being home with your loved ones and not cramped on a bus with random yeah not random, i had um, a bunch of dudes said you know, up until COVID basically that I felt most comfortable in a hotel. And I don't think that's Mm -hmm. (laughs) healthy, but that was like the best sleep I had. And like, I was like, I knew I can lock the door and all that, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. because that's where I was most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. That adjustment, uh, what are things that you think stand-ups can do when they are coming from the road and back to home life for a little bit? What are some adjustments that people can make? When you get back, that's questionable. I think making some sort of routine that you can have doing both is really helpful and and helped me during some pretty tough, like lonely times where 
you know, I try to wake up at the same time or write right away, meditate, whatever you do, work out. And then when you're home, also do those same things because then just less is changing at once. Yeah. And when you travel, you know, every week, yeah, because for a while I was continuously on the road, but then even before I had a family that became too much. And so it was like, okay, I'd rather go and come back and, and change what my schedule is like a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, and, but then that's almost worse as far as routine goes. Cause if you're like, well, three days a week, then I do my home routine. And then four days a week, I do my road routine. And you're like, well, those things should just be the same so that you're at least having some sort of uh, constant. Mm-hmm. And then the eating, I think, is pretty important. Yeah. Uh, those things, if you could try and eat. I don't know. Because, I, I mean, yeah, my degrees in sports and exercise science. I know a lot about the body. And even as athletes, what they would be like, oh, if you just eat, you'll feel different without working out harder or doing anything. To, you know, if you just you'll feel lighter if you eat this stuff and you'll, you know, whatever. It's true just in life. And like, I just feel better if I can figure out how to eat appropriately it is not easy on the road especially depending on where you're where you're traveling but um, um right. those things Fast like food just is so easy and they don't have a lot of healthy options well that and also like dependent like you know i was just in wichita and tulsa and um vegetables not popular there not fans <laughs> of vegetables i great meat i had some really nice meat dishes but not a whole lot of vegetables mac and um, cheese was a vegetable <laughs> was the side yeah for sure <laughs> um so you just kind of try to make it work but um yeah just like normal human things <laughs> yeah um, are important. if you're playing a bar show it's like oh you get we'll feed you and it's like they're they're not going to have a salad. They're going to have chicken wings. And those chicken yeah. wings are going to look good. And that's going to be your best option still because everything yeah. else is a grilled sandwich or whatever. Yeah, for sure. Right, right. Um, you mentioned a minute ago that uh, when you were playing the, the rooms that were home for you at the time, uh, the audience would maybe know half of the jokes. And um, that is a struggle as a stand-up to do jokes that you know this audience if it's your regular room has heard but you got to keep doing them because you got to kind of keep them warm you can't just say like all right all right i know how that goes because when i have taken a long time off from doing a joke and was like oh i'll throw this one in there i know how it goes i forgot a couple of beats you know so you kind of have to regularly do it oh yeah and coming back from this you know we did a lot of zoom shows and what mm -hmm. try to make it work virtually and shorter sets and mm -hmm. i like new you know i get tired of hearing old stuff and i recorded an album right before covid and mm -hmm. it came out in the middle of it and so mm -hmm. normally you put it out and you're like oh i'm still gonna be doing some of this and trying to get new stuff you know whatever but i had about like 20 new minutes of material since all of this had started that i'm like really excited about i enjoy doing and then they're like, okay, we're live again. And you're going to do 45 minutes. And you're like, okay, I'm going to have to do some of the old stuff. And then you're like, I don't remember it. <laughs> I really struggled the first couple of times. I like, I had merch that was a joke and I yeah. couldn't 
remember the joke. And I was like, I have to sell, I have to do the joke because I have to sell the merch. So <laughs> like trying to, and I like went back like three times and I was like, finally, I got it. And they were just like, what is happening to her? <laughs> you know, I've seen um, Gary Goldman a few times here in town and uh, who's great. Yeah. And um, he, we saw him tell one bit uh, that we, a few times, like in each of the sets. And it was really interesting to see a stand-up, especially of his caliber, uh, re repeat jokes and still get laughs from me. You know, like to to be able to still right. finesse it in such a way that it that it works for me each time. That is a hell of a skill to have. That is so funny because you know I end up working with some of the same people a lot and sometimes pretty close together. And there's a few people where I'm like, I'll do, I could watch you over and over. You know, I know what's happened. It's like listening to your favorite song or something. Like, you know the words, yeah. but you love it. And then yeah. some people I'm like, oh, he's up. I'm going to go outside then. You know, like I don't need to <laughs> watch it. And what makes that different? Like Gary Goldman's one of those people. Like I could watch his specials over and over. Yeah, he's great. He's We're going to get to see him next week. Um, oh, awesome. Which will be our first live in-person stand-up show oh. since COVID. I mean, in that's, over a year and a half. That's so exciting. Probably. I'm excited for you because now I've Thanks. been live again since like February. So I'm like, oh, these people who haven't gotten to go yet, they're still <laughs> that, new. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I mean, here, because it's New York, they, they, the vaccine wasn't readily available and there's so many people so it's so many more people yeah spread stuff so it wasn't until this month no it's like it's not even yet i was gonna say i don't i knew you as, guys were opening as, up but right as we are talking it is not uh fully opened up yet uh there are places that are doing a little bit but not much yeah uh, we've had i mean i think we're still at a limited capacity mm -hmm. over here but at the end of this month it's supposed to be back to normal it is funny because i mean washington state at least western washington is liberal they want to mm -hmm. say that they're liberal you know whatever even though they're all rich as fuck but um <laughs> uh, they so now just recently on a lot of the stores and stuff it says you can wear a mask or if you're fully vaccinated you don't have to wear one and you go in the store and everyone still has their mask on because i think they're afraid that people will think they're anti-maskers or they're like, I'm just, I'm vaccinated. I'm not. Right. We are in that time. <laughs> Against masks? Like, yeah. Because, I mean, 90 some percent of the people I saw, honestly, 99% of the people I saw in New York when all this was going on were wearing a mask and it would take, I would have to go out a ton. I have to go walk the, to the bodega a bunch to see five people not wearing a mask in a week, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. like. That that's that was how much people were wearing masks here, which is great. But now uh, there's a lot under the chin stuff and and things, and it's yeah, like it's getting a little I, right. When max. I first started uh, seeing that, I was like, okay, uh, don't don't be alarmed by this person not wearing a mask. They are probably fully vaxxed. Like, right. It was, it's a weird, well, okay. So I, when I first started doing shows again, because even some of the places it was allowed, I just mm -hmm. about eight months where I didn't do, I didn't fly. I didn't go out of state. I didn't do anything. And Washington was closed all the way. So it was mostly online. 
And then, so when we, we opened a little bit in February, like 25% capacity, then I was like, okay, well, I'll go do, you know, Idaho <laughs> and Oregon or whoever's open, Montana, whatever. And so I f- did my first few shows on the road in March in Idaho. And I was the only one wearing a mask. Me and my feature were the only two people wearing a mask anywhere. And then we go into the venue and we look, they just stare at you like you're crazy. And you're like, yeah. okay. You know, and then I go and sit down. I know the owner. And so he sits down. He's like, oh, just so you know, like the masks are optional. And I was like, oh, I can tell. Like that's not. <laughs> but we wore them anyways. And then, of course, yeah. I mean, my feature is a little neurotic. Career. And he was like, I have it. I know I have it. We got it. We got it. And then he went, got tested immediately. We didn't, we didn't get it. Yeah, you're um, wearing a mask, you know. You yeah, we were wearing a mask. I mean, I'm sure. Well, and they were all like, we've already had it, which is a weird way to go, but whatever. <laughs> I don't understand those people are like, well, I've already had it. So why about like, you can get it again. Right. Maybe yeah. it will be worse. <laughs> yeah. Like, why are you being cavalier about yeah, your it health? It was <laughs> an interesting experience for sure. But mm-hmm. yeah, so now... It just kind of depends. Well, and then, of course, I'm like ready for everywhere I traveled to be like that. So April was when I was like, okay, I'm flying again. I had one shot at that time. I'm fully vaxxed now. But mm-hmm. um, and I went to, yeah, Oklahoma thinking like, okay, this is what we've heard on TV. The South's not into the mask thing. Like, we'll see what happens. And I go, and they were really good about it. They kept them on. They didn't, you know, they didn't really argue about it and so i like had no idea what i was in (laughs) for if i'm going anywhere yeah (laughs) yeah um there's something i'm noticing and because i've seen a few of the clubs here and, and venues here um offering shows live shows but they are doing like a two-tier thing i guess where it's like if it's live then you can pay 12 15 bucks to see the show or we're gonna live stream it for five bucks I hope they do that forever. Yeah, I, I could see what I I could see a lot of comics saying like I don't want it live streamed because I guess someone could steal it. Um and maybe there's some way to like get around that, but um I think it's good for the venues if they yeah. can make money beyond who's in the house cuz you can well, sell and I, out and then make more money. Yeah, and I feel like Cause I just recently did one in central Washington where they had like three cameras. It was in this like church that they turned into a theater and mm-hmm. then it was live streamed also. And people could donate that way, you know? And so it ends up sometimes being more money for us too, which is nice. I mean, mm-hmm. in the very beginning of this, that was how I kept my house. You know, <laughs> I mean, I did these like live stream shows where I was just like, you just donate, whatever you want. And it worked really well for the beginning part until it got, you know, pretty saturated of other people doing it too. But that was, I mean, so I'm still trying to figure out how to keep some parts of that afloat. I've been doing live stream trivia on my YouTube, Mm -hmm. you know, just whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, Because it is a way to keep people engaged that otherwise might forget about you because you don't travel to, you know, Ohio in the middle of nowhere all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Things like that, where they can still be involved, right? And, right. Uh, yeah. How often? I mean, I haven't gone back to the South, you know, like Georgia and stuff, for three years. So there could be people who really liked me when I was there that hopefully still follow me and are like, well, at least I can see something she's doing, you know, or whatever. Yeah. 
Yeah, if you're um, doing a live show at a club and they're they're offering the live stream as well, you know, like you got there are options and we can yeah. adapt to them. Like you're talking yeah, about I don't there. I don't hate that, especially if you're selling the club out. You know, it's like yeah, people from all over the world can also watch it who yeah. never would have access because they don't right. live in that town. Yeah, it's a uh, you know, and I've been... people will still go to the shows because people like live performance. You and know? it's still a different experience. Even if I did, you're seeing the exact same show, you know, it's still, the yeah. atmosphere is still different. And I think people who are actually fans of stand-up understand that. Yeah. Um, but it's, why not? I mean, we're going to have to get some parts of it. I mean, I so I focused, I, I say it <laughs> like I chose, you know, you pick an airline and then you're like, okay, I'm going, I'm in Alaska. Per, I'm a Delta person, whatever. I got to get my status and stuff. So during COVID, I picked YouTube. That was the one I was going to focus on and uh, really created a lot more content, did a lot of live streams and stuff, got the subscribers up, whatever. It's monetized now. And now I'm like, why didn't I do this before? You know, like I made all these adjustments just <laughs> for this to make it work, but I'm like, oh, I could have been doing this before and that would have been helpful. And so I think we've learned a ton and I do hope that we take parts of it that are going to help and keep doing them. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it would be really great if even improv theaters can do that because you have so many people who move to a big city to do improv and their friends and family back home want to see them perform, but they don't live in the city. They yeah. live. And that might be better for in. improv too, because it's yeah. not, you know, it's not your material you're putting out there. That's right. what standups are afraid of, you know, getting their material right. out there and people have it before they should. But improv, yeah. it's like, whatever. Yeah. 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 I mean, uh, the, there's different, um, there are different options and I hope, uh, I hope, clubs can recoup some of that money they lost this last year with also doing a live stream to, for yeah. live uh, in-house shows. Uh, that'd be awesome. Yeah, I'm um, for it. Yeah. Well, this has been a great chat. I don't want to end before we talk about some of the other stuff that you've been doing. Like you have, was it 80 for 80? Uh, 80 for 80, Yeah. <laughs> That is a that is a, that's a video thing that you put together like a doc is it a documentary a, is that fair to call it a documentary series? Yeah, it's a documentary series where I talk to people over the age of eighty mm -hmm. um, for eighty minutes. I guess is that what it is? No, no, <laughs> uh, it might be a total of eighty minutes. No, they're pretty short episodes. You get about forty five minutes with someone who's over eighty before they're like, I have to leave. Um, right. Right. Uh, it was really fun. It was a few years ago and I made it in Seattle. I got a grant to make it. Um, Dope. it was on Amazon and now it's on yeah. YouTube. So you can watch it just easily on my YouTube. Um, and yeah, it's funny. You know, they're, they say whatever they want. There was a reason yeah. I picked that age range was that they're past the, the sugar coating point of trying to <laughs> make everything sound like it's good. You know, I wanted some real answers um, mm -hmm. and they give them to you for sure. So yeah, there's different episodes. They all have a different story. Um, I had a couple who'd been married for 60 years. Uh, 
So I asked her what the key to a long marriage was, and she said, just don't talk to each other. <laughs> um, so, you know, they just <laughs> say whatever they so want. That's why people divorced during COVID, because they were around <laughs> right. each other Because they had to more. interact, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> than they ever thought they would be. Exactly. In fact, a few years into this last year. Oh, um, yeah. If you've been together, <laughs> if you stayed together during this time, like, you're, you're at at least five, I think. <laughs> oh, for sure. Gosh, I mean, just the amount of time that you spent uh, is just not the normal amount of time that you spend with your significant others for the average no, person. Or your kids. <laughs> sure. I mean, it's like eight hours a day that people weren't spending time together in most cases. Well, yeah, and, and me even more because I was traveling. So now it's right. like, you know, which I think was actually good for my relationship because I was gone a lot. But, <laughs> no, you know, if you weren't prepared for that, then... <laughs> <laughs> And you also have a podcast called Hug Life mm-hmm. that you've been doing. You have over 300 episodes, correct? Yeah, I think it's like 340 now. Um, yeah. What is that? Almost almost seven years, I think. Wow. Yeah, me and my, my co-host, Mike Coletta, who also did that tour with me. Um, it's a positive podcast. We talk about nice stuff and good news stories. And it's just fun and funny. And uh, the whole idea was just that you know, everything's pretty uh, stressful if you're watching yeah. how the world's going and you can mm-hmm. just forget for an hour or whatever. Um, that's nice. Which, yeah, at the time was like, oh, that's nice. And now you're like, oh, it makes even more sense. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah you started that way before uh, COVID. Um, yeah, definitely. Is that, because you say that's the person you toured with, um, mm-hmm. is that the sort of vibe that you all do with your shows, your live shows? Whereas like, um, let's just enjoy it. You get into some more of the negative. <laughs> I think my natural thing is like, I just want everyone to laugh. And, you know, it's not necessarily the material itself is super upbeat or positive, but it's, mm-hmm. um, it's not political. I don't really talk, you know, it's not too dark. It's just, I just want it to be funny and normal mm-hmm. observation. And Mike's like that too. It's very, he's got a very like, uh, upbeat voice too so it's you're just like oh we're having fun which I I really enjoy someone who can do something political and and things like that that's just not necessarily my lane and so yeah I just want people to forget for a little bit I mean I've had those experiences where um, you know something terrible is happening for somebody and they come up to you after a show and they go thank you I needed to just not think about it for a little bit and so just just to be able to do yeah. that is huge and that's kind of my but that's just what I write about anyways. There's, you know, I've tried sometimes to be like, okay, what could I write about what's going mm-hmm. on? And it just doesn't go as well for me. So mm-hmm. it's more of a what's happened to me, my firsthand experience, you know, my family, my jobs, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just what I create from. So that's how it works out. <laughs> that's cool. Yeah. Well, we've reached the end of the episode. Uh, and it's time to create something together. And one thing that has piqued my interest, you mentioned that you got a grant for mm-hmm. the documentary series. And I'm wondering, because I think a lot of people are trying to figure out ways to make a project that they have ideas for. Uh, how did you go about getting a grant to get that finance? Like, how did that whole thing come about? Um, I had so... That's well, funny. There's so many other things that I could pitch and be annoying. I um, <laughs> I so we did... can talk about if, if if walking through how to get a grant is uh, yeah. not the so, direction that you. No, that's totally can... fine. 
Oh, cool. No, that works. But it, I just, so this last year I put out two albums. So one was a stand-up album, Normal. It's called Mostly Finger Guns, recorded live, like you, yeah, every album other album you've heard. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. And then a second one that's called Chill, which is a guided meditation album. Yes. But it's like comedic guided meditation. And so years ago, probably six years ago, I did like, I did, I recorded a guided meditation that was, it's like full of dick jokes. Like it's, it's relaxing and stuff, but it's, it's just jokes, you know, or whatever it, it, like it works. It's effective, but it's also yeah, it sounds great. dirty. I don't even know how else to explain it. And so I had just like, I had no idea what I was doing editing wise. And so I just like put up pictures and, you know, like I put it on YouTube, but like put up pictures and so like, it was bad. <laughs> and so a guy who had been doing a, a documentary about, um, the competition here in Seattle, Seattle International Comedy Competition, the year that I had done it, he reached out and was like, hey, do you want me to edit a video for you? Because this is not good. And I was like, yeah, that'd be great. So then I started doing them monthly and he would do a video with like stock footage, which was great. They're so funny because stock footage is hilarious to me. I think yes. it's so great. It's inherently so funny. we did that for maybe a year. And then I had this idea of like, my grandfather passed away. And so I just feel like I had questions for him, you know, that I couldn't at that point get answered. And I wanted to know how he felt about his life and just things like that. So I had the idea of like, well, what if we interview them now, you know, and then make them feel comfortable and we'll talk about silly, dirty stuff and, you know, whatever. And so I had told Ruben, who was the guy who was editing these other things for me, I was like, I would... I want it to look good though. I'd want, you know, that would take money to do thinking like, okay, I'll just keep it in my back pocket just in case. And he was the one that was like, oh, there's these, there's a lot of arts organizations around that do that. And like the one here that I went through, it's called for, for culture, like the number four. Um, and they get their money from lodging taxes. <laughs> like when you go to a hotel, which is cool, I think. Um, and so, I applied for it. He helped me a bit and I didn't expect to get it at all. And then we did because I think they hadn't really, there's not a lot of comedy focused things that they got. You know, it was a lot of like music festivals or a mural or something, you know, like more art, like when you think of art kind of things. And so this was different and they liked it a lot. And so, yeah, they gave me the money and I actually made it within like, three months of them giving us the grant and they were like, Whoa, that was fast. <laughs> um, but cause I think other people are, they're like, you have two years to use the money, you know, and I did it in like three months, but you had to do another, like you had to have a, uh, an event. So we did like a premiere, you know, there was more parts to it, but I didn't even, I don't know. You have to like fit certain criteria for it. And does it uh -huh. help the community? And does it, right. you know, all these different things that I kind of had to be, you just look at it and go, okay, I can make it sound like it does, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and once you made it and then got it on Amazon prime, like what was that process? How did you, how did you get that to work for you? They were going in a direction of like, you can, we want more, self-produced made stuff i don't know if they're trying to compete with like a youtube or something or just that netflix had so much content but they were mm -hmm. like you can submit it to us and it was actually a really long process um mm -hmm. it went back and forth and then we had like a date that it was supposed to come out and they didn't put it up until like three days later and i was like 
devastated. I had done all this PR. I was like on the news, like it's going to be out this day. And then they messed it up. And so I'm on the road (laughs) sitting at a bar, just with my sunglasses on crying alone in the corner, like, Oh God, why didn't this work out? Um, But then it went up and it was fine. But they, I mean, as we've heard in the news, Amazon's an interesting company financially. Mm -hmm. So now it actually works out better for me financially to have it on YouTube. So, um, which, yeah, but I made, you know, we were able to pay for it. I actually ended up getting two grants. Um, oh, cool. And so it, it wasn't like I lost a bunch of money to make it, but it was a great experience. And we cut a lot of corners financially because we were around here. You know, we filmed wow. everything in one day, um, which was tiring for me, but you know, each, each episode, they only came in for 45 minutes. So they were okay. But yeah, yeah, I got really lucky with the people that I worked with and then that this company wanted it. So there's like a lot of, there's a lot more things like that than uh, people know about, I think, you know, because if he hadn't told me, I wouldn't even have known that was an option. So yeah. And then, you know, a lot of people just think, well, I guess I'll get a Kickstarter. Right. And then you have yeah. to basically ask your friends because, like, who else is there to ask uh, to, yeah. to Which support that? We did try and do that for a second season, and it did not go well. Not because yeah. I think the it wasn't, like, a good idea, but we had to ask for a lot more money. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just, yeah, Kickstarter didn't work for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's tough. I mean... You, a lot of stand-ups or comedians in general will uh, go that route, but they're asking their broke friends right. <laughs> for money, essentially. You yeah, know? And for it's sure. <clears throat> great to be able to help your friends with something and to, to support their their endeavors, but it just can't always work. You know, I mean, it's you need people who finance things to put money into something, but a grant is a good way to go because a lot of people with a lot of money who finance things also want creative control or say, and, and that's one of the things that hurts the film industry uh, is yeah. that they're just a lot of investors and then they want to pull a writer aside and be like, this is how you do this. And it's like, right. you are a finance bro. You don't know. What, <laughs> anything right. There's about a reason film. I'm writing it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. So it's, uh, that could be a mess. And so if someone can go the grant route, then that's great. Absolutely. Or, yeah, any way that you can. And then it changed everything for me to do that because I did have creative control of something that I had never done before. So I, I was lucky enough to, we also had a director. So Ruben helped me with it. He did the editing and the camera and stuff. And then I had a director named Richard Kilpatrick who did a lot of commercials for like Microsoft and different things like that and had reached out randomly to be like, oh, I like your Instagram, you know, like dumb Instagram videos. Do you want, you know, maybe we should do something together. And I was like, interesting timing. I actually have this big project that I have money for. And, you know, do you want to help me? And he, they both knew exactly what I was going for with, cause I wanted it to, you know, 80 for 80. I wanted it to be like a sports kind of, you know, like intensity of a sports documentary, but it's about old people. Like it's, you know, it's <laughs> yeah. silly. And so they both nailed it and like, they got it perfect. And, um, that made a huge difference. Like I just got pretty lucky um, in a lot of ways for that. Mm -hmm. But I think the biggest thing, like I struggle with confidence 
always have, even as a basketball player, like if I could just, yeah, if I could just be confident in the things that I'm creating and whatnot, like it would help. And I think that helped me a lot of like, oh, I can create something that I thought of that I like that somebody wanted to give me money for that looks really good. And I'm proud of and people like for the most part, you know, it wasn't some like huge blew up. I didn't win an Academy Award for it, but um, it was dope that you put it proud of it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like, yeah, it's great to have those sort of accolades if you can get like an Academy Award or something, I suppose, because that helps get your name out there and uh but i would want that just just so people had to say it before i came on stage you know an academy award probably wouldn't help me as much as somebody else would be like your next comic has an academy award (laughs) yeah i mean it basically it helps point to the project but not necessarily uh uh, being a a road comic but um but i don't know i mean that sounds good i mean it probably wouldn't hurt (laughs) it would definitely help at least for that first year that you can make yeah. a big gag out of it. <laughs> um, but you're so accomplished, and it's interesting to hear that you struggle with doubt and, uh, and uh, you know, being more secure about yourself. Yeah, it's an interesting thing because I've had some good things happen. I've done, you know, gotten accepted to different festivals and stuff, and I still don't ask enough because I'm afraid mm-hmm. I'm still afraid of getting rejected and like even booking. I think that that wears on me sometimes, like just booking comedy clubs where I'm like, I work this other club. I know I would be good at this club. Mm-hmm. I just need them to say yes. And sometimes they don't that, you know, or they don't respond at all. And it's, it's just after a while, it's like a bit, it's, it gets heavy. And yeah. so then I'm like, oh, I should send this tape in. I should write this thing. I should ask for this. And I just get afraid. I just, yeah, I just get, and it, it, I eventually I do it. Eventually I do it. And that's kind of what I'm saying about 80 for 80 is like, just do it. It'll probably work out. The worst thing is that they say no, you know, like mm-hmm. that's it. Um, it just takes me a lot longer because I do sit here and think about it and second guess and, overanalyze and I just I wish there I mean we've both seen (laughs) just blind confidence in some of these people we work with and you're like god I know he sucks but I really wish (laughs) I had that confidence (laughs) (laughs) I know for sure well I think it's really inspiring that you have come through that stuff uh to create all of the things that you've done and to uh build the career that you've built and I I Appreciate you sharing that with us because I think a lot of people listening, myself included, are hearing that just makes us more inspired. Like, if she can fight through that, then so can I. Good. Well, I hope that's how you feel. And yeah, there's a lot of like, just take a shot and see what happens. And yeah, and I think with most things, if you don't get it, you're still in the same position. You're, you know, nothing's going to make you go backwards. So you'll be okay. And for me, like making 80 for 80 really led to the confidence to make a meditation album. Like who would, you know, like that's what a weird thing to do, but now I knew how to pay for stuff and um, knew how to make it good. So you're at least, at least at the very least taking a chance to try something, you'll learn something. I feel like I sound like a, your third grade teacher, but still like you, I believe in you. You can do it. (laughs) All right. Well, there it is. Thanks so much for being on the podcast, Monica. Thanks so much for having me. I had fun. 
She was so much fun to talk to. Loved having her on. Be sure to check out other stuff she's got going on. Get her two albums, the stand-up album Mostly Finger Guns and the guided meditation Chill. She also has a newer podcast out called Dumb Pitches. Don't forget about her other podcast, Hug Life, and follow her on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at Monica Nevy. We have all sorts of links in the bio for her stuff, so be sure to check that out. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at There It Is Pod, and on YouTube at There It Is. Also, subscribe to our Comedy Lifestyle newsletter and support us if you can. We have a Patreon and a PayPal. Go to thereitispod.com for newsletter and support info. Very much appreciate it. Until next time, be good to each other. The music for the theme song was created by Neil Brooks. The rap was written and performed by Nick Acevedo. The logo for There It Is was created by Jeff Prater. The There It Is podcast is produced by Jason Farr. (laughs) 